Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're listening this morning. I am excited also to tell you that my precious boy, Micah Peter, was born just a little over a week ago, and it has been an absolutely wonderful time just having him back at the house with Aaron, my wife, and our daughters. We are enjoying Micah tremendously, and it seemed like a good idea to talk about Micah and this precious new life today on the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Yep, if you didn't know it, today is the Sanctity of Life Sunday, which Reagan instituted back in the 80s in order to remember the tragedy of Roe v. Wade. So it comes at the same time as the anniversary of Roe v. Wade each year. That being said, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I thought I would talk about this pro-life slash pro-choice issue. And it's something that I haven't talked a whole lot about on this show, but it is something that is very dear to my heart. And I'm sure if you've listened for long, you've heard me mention it here or there. Now, that being said, Micah is this precious little boy. He is full of life, full of energy. He's already able to capture our hearts and It should be noted that he came three weeks early, so all this personality would have been present in the womb if he hadn't been born early. And that is the case, and as we look today, you'll see some of the medical evidence that the unborn baby is a living human being. So as you think about that thought, I wanted to talk about some of the culture of death in our country. You've recently heard me speak of how we have trained a godless nation and how that, more than anything else, guns included, is responsible for the mass shootings and mass killings and other types of human-caused catastrophes that we're seeing right now in our nation. We really have trained a godless nation for a few decades now, and we're beginning to reap the results of that indoctrination of godlessness. And like I've said previously, If you tell somebody long enough that they should follow their heart and do whatever feels good and that they should live out whatever morbid fantasy they have and that they have no one to give account to and that God does not exist, well, they might actually start believing that's true and living like it's true. And that's exactly what we see unfolding across our country on an almost daily basis. It's very sad and it's very frightening. On that note, I don't think that we should be too quick to curb the Second Amendment, and we've seen people trying to take executive action and things like that to curb the Second Amendment, thinking that that would solve the issue. And all I've got to say is the issue is much deeper than curbing the Second Amendment. The issue really goes to the heart of our nation, and our nation has become extremely violent. We have created in this nation a culture of death. I think the beginnings of that happened long before Roe v. Wade, and Roe v. Wade was just another symptom of that. But since Roe v. Wade, it has persisted throughout this country. A lot of that goes back to this supposed overpopulation myth, and it is a myth. I've heard for years that we have to beware of the population bomb. Well, you might have seen an article recently in Slate that said that 2012 is when the world's population reached 7 billion. 
The interesting thing about that is that is the first time in history that a billion mark took longer to reach than its previous billion mark. So it took the world longer to go from six to seven billion than it took the world to get from five to six billion. That is very interesting. And it shows a slowing trend in the population of this planet. And it's something that we should recognize about biological systems. Biological systems, if you've ever taken biology, regulate themselves and they don't overpopulate and destroy themselves. They have self-regulation mechanisms built into their survival. That being said, a 2008 IIASA world population study found that the world population could be decreasing and it could be decreasing at an alarmingly quick rate. And they even said that it is possible by 2300, so 200 and something years from now, that the world's population could be down to just one billion people or one seventh of what it is today. I think a lot of this overpopulation garbage is just that, it's garbage. And we are not in any danger of overpopulating this planet at least according to current population trends. We've also heard the myth that resources are scarce. Already there's far more food produced each year in this world than there are people to consume it. And I've heard that in our country, as much as 40% of it goes to waste. So the issue isn't that resources are scarce, but that people waste too many resources. Similarly, a lot of countries don't get the resources they need because of political issues. Those are issues that need solutions, but killing the next generation is not a valid solution to those problems. Who gave us authority to decide who dies? Oftentimes people say abortion is all about, you know, ending life because it's going to be a terrible environment for that child to grow up in. Well, who gave you the authority to end that life? It's a crazy, crazy, crazy idea. And like I've quoted before, Michael Bauman says, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have bad ones. And murdering innocent people to solve hypothetical problems is always a bad idea and a bad consequence. Similarly, a panel of Oxford ethicists recently wrote in the Journal of Medical Ethics that killing babies is the same as abortion. Well, I would have to say they're right on that. I disagree, however, with their conclusion. They say that Babies and newborns are potential persons, not actual persons. And they go on, and this is a quote, both a fetus and a newborn certainly are human beings. So they're correct to notice that the fetus is a human being. However, they go on to say that neither the fetus nor a newborn baby is a person in the sense of a subject of a moral right to life. They continue, we take person to mean an individual who is capable of attributing to her own existence some at least basic value such that being deprived of this existence represents a loss to her. It is not possible to damage a newborn by preventing her from developing the potentiality to become a person in the morally relevant sense. This is absurdity, but it's going in modern journals of academia and it's being proposed by so-called intellectuals. They're literally saying that you can kill a newborn because a newborn wouldn't be hurt or hindered by its life being taken away. That's absurd. And having a newborn back home, I realize the absolute insanity of such a statement. 
They go on to say that they prefer the phrase afterbirth abortion rather than infanticide. Of course they do. They don't want to feel like they're ruthless tyrants, which they are if they are killing newborns. So they say afterbirth abortion is a better term. And they go on to say that this is just verbal manipulation that is not philosophy. And I might refer to abortion henceforth as antenatal infanticide. In other words, they get it right again that abortion is a form of infanticide. It's crazy, though, that these so-called ethicists are conducting research and writing in journals that murdering newborns and murdering unborn babies are the same thing, but we should be able to do them both. And then to anybody with a sense of sensibility says that's crazy. They say fanatics opposed to the very values of a liberal society are what you are. And so instead of saying, nope, murdering babies is wrong, they say you should be able to murder unborn babies and born babies. And if you oppose that, you're a fanatic that is opposed to a liberal society. Well, if that's what constitutes a liberal society, one that murders unborn and born babies, then call me a fanatic. It's wrong. There continue to be assisted suicide and euthanasia debates going on in Europe, and we're seeing a lot of that happening here in the United States as well. And these are terrifying trends. Even Obama gave impetus to this worldwide euthanasia movement as he was trying to fight for Obamacare, saying that maybe you need to give granny a painkiller, talking about rationing health care to save money, and doing that in cases that a person's life could be prolonged because of the health care. Crazy statement and very much a fearful perspective on where our nation is going. So where does life begin? Some people, example, Peter Singer, like I just mentioned, some of the Oxford ethicists, think you should be able to kill your child up till more than six months to a year after it's born. This is absurdity. Now, when does life begin? Life begins at conception. Here are 10 characteristics of life that we should not forget. All life is made up of cells. All life develops according to a genetic code. All life interacts with its environment. All life responds to stimuli. All life metabolizes energy. All life needs water. All life eliminates waste. All life maintains internal equilibrium. All life grows and all life eventually reproduces. Each of those features begins at the moment of conception. And there is never a life-determining event after that moment. So from the moment of conception, we have a living organism. Now, what kind of organism? It's a human organism that has its own unique human DNA. The unborn baby is not a part of the mother's body because it has its own unique DNA separate from the mother's DNA. The baby is its own unique human organism from the moment of conception. And it's not just a tissue or an organ or a blood clot, as many people in the pro-choice industry might say. Tissues work together to form organs, which work together to form organisms, and all of these are present in the unborn baby. So what is present at eight weeks when most babies are aborted? At 18 days, the heart begins to beat. At 21 days, the circulatory system begins functioning. At 28 days, the eye, ear, and respiratory systems function. At 42 days, there are brain waves, skeleton, and reflexes all present. At eight weeks, all body systems are present and functioning in some capacity. 
And most abortions occur after all these things are already present. So the statement that abortion stops a beating heart is accurate. In addition to that, 15% of unborn babies are viable outside the womb at 23 weeks. 56% of unborn babies are viable outside the womb at 24 weeks. And 79% of unborn babies are viable outside the womb at 25 weeks. And nearly 40% of abortions happen after that in incredibly terrible ways. Those include partial birth abortions, where the baby is partially delivered and then destroyed in an unthinkable fashion. It's head being smashed in and its brain being vacuumed out the back as it kicks and screams. And this happens every day in our country. Legislation has been implemented to end partial birth abortion, but it has been left to the decision of the doctor with the so-called health of the mother at stake. And of course we know for many things doctors can say that it's a needed procedure for any number of supposed health reasons. The only life-defining moment in fetal development is conception, and that's a biological fact. And until science can disprove that, and science can't disprove that, abortion is the killing of an unborn human baby. So what has been the effect of abortion on our society? In 1973, Roe v. Wade established the unconstitutional right to privacy as the foundation for a woman's right to an abortion. These penumbrial rights are nowhere found in the Constitution. And ever since then, we've had this culture of death in our country. There have been between 50 and 75 million babies whose lives have been ended since 1973 because of abortion. And there are over 1 million every year in this country, over 3,000 a day. Who is okay with living in a country that allows such a tragedy? There are 42 million abortions every year worldwide, as 53 countries and 60% of the world's population have followed our nation's terrible example of death. Worldwide, there are 115,000 babies a day being killed in abortion. If you add that up, that is more people than all the wars in human history for the past 400 years of history. It's absolutely terrible. We should also note that organizations like Planned Parenthood have incredibly bad foundations and goals in society. Planned Parenthood, for example, was begun by Margaret Sanger as a eugenics project designed to exterminate the African-American race. Incredibly evil from its start onward. We look at other things like embryonic stem cell research, which involves the ending of human lives, assisted suicide, and all these types of euthanasia-affiliated issues. And we've always seen those lead to terrible consequences in the past. Just think of the Nazis, for example. And this culture of death has led to a society that does not revere life. We think of life as nothing and irrelevant, and we've seen its negative effect on morality and ethics. It is unbelievable. Just think of the economic issues that would have been solved by 25% larger workforce. Think, for example, of Social Security. We wouldn't be in the problem situation that we are in now with Social Security. So what about women? A lot of people say, well, this is about women's rights. And I want to say first and foremost, it's not about women's rights. Nobody should have the right to murder anyone for any reason whatsoever. But what about the women? 
Well, the death rate in the year after an abortion for women who have had an abortion is four times that of women who carry the pregnancy. And most women who have had abortions struggle with post-abortion syndrome, lifelong depression, and close to half of them attempt suicide. Abortion is destructive to the baby and to the mother. The mother's health is just as important as the baby's to all of us who are pro-life. There are inherent medical risks and side effects with abortions as with any operations, and those include death. Similarly, cancer peaks for women that have had abortions, many different types of cancer, and there are literally thousands more women dying every year as a result of cancers that they get as a result of their abortions than ever were protected from back alley abortions. No matter how you cut it, women are suffering very much from legal abortions, more so than they ever were before abortions were legal. And that being considered, we need to lovingly communicate with women how they can be healthy, how they can, even if they can't keep the baby, they can give the baby up for adoption. I've had people that I've told, if you're considering an abortion, I will adopt that baby. My wife and I will take that baby. And they've never taken us up on it, but there are people all around you that will adopt that baby so you don't have to face the negative consequences, whether they be physical or emotional, of an abortion. So things you might hear, that there's a right to privacy. Well, there technically isn't in the Constitution, but even if that were the case, that's far different than a right to killing another human being. Similarly, a lot of times people say that abortion is all oppression by men, and that's not the case. In a lot of situations, and those that I've been personally involved in talking to people that are considering this, oftentimes the man wanted the abortion to absolve him of responsibility for fathering a child. Most people in our country are also no longer pro-choice, as the pro-life position has grown, especially as people have been able to realize what's going on during a pregnancy. If you've never seen an ultrasound, you owe it to yourself to see one because you can see this beautiful baby created in the image of God from the moment of conception growing and developing. And if you've seen an ultrasound, you'll know that this is not a blood clot or a blob of tissue. It is a living human being. Some would also say I'm personally against abortion, but I think it's okay for others. Ravi Zacharias answers this by saying, if the fetus is not a person, why are you personally against abortion? And if the fetus is a person, why is it okay for other people to kill her? And if you don't know whether or not it's a person, why are you making a life and death decision about it? We have to realize that that line of reasoning does not hold up. Sometimes people say, well, what about pregnancies that result from rape? It should be noted that those are extremely rare. And I think we should have huge and disastrous consequences for rapists. They should know that they can't get away with that. At the same time, two wrongs never make a right. And killing the baby is never a right way to respond to such a tragedy. Two tragedies don't absolve one tragedy. And I think that it is healthiest to allow that baby to be born and be given to another family so the woman doesn't have to deal with the guilt of that on top of the pain of that terrible, terrible tragedy. And I've had loved ones that have been sexually abused, and I think that we need to stand up for their rights, along with the rights of the unborn babies that are being killed in this country. I've actually had people tell me that adoption is mean. 
I can only respond to that that murder is worse. And adoption is not mean. My family adopted my brother Alex when I was growing up, and I love him dearly, and it was not mean to adopt him. And I am thankful that he is my brother to this day. Some people might also say it isn't right to bring an unwanted child into the world. Gregory Kokel reminds us that the question is wrong because he says, is it okay to take an unwanted baby out of the world since the baby is already here? An obvious misstatement by those that would try to paint it differently. So we hear about the personhood movement going on in our country and other movements, and I believe that the day is coming when our country will finally realize, in accordance with the science, that the unborn baby is a living human being. And you can actually be a part of this. Think back to Hitler's Nazi Germany and Nazi empire. I think all of us think if we would have been there, we would have done something. We would have wanted to make a difference. And I want to challenge you that you can make a difference. You can share the pro-life message with your family and friends, and you can make a difference. And on this National Sanctity of Life Sunday, I think this is a great time to commit to making a difference in this vitally important issue. So speak out, talk to your friends, use social media to get the message out. And ultimately, I would encourage you to share Christ's hope. All that being said, I want to close with a short interview with some of the lifeguard volunteers that I talked with this past Friday in front of the Planned Parenthood abortion clinic. We're here in Durango outside the Planned Parenthood clinic. It's a Friday morning, and I'm talking with a few gentlemen that I just met about why they're out here this morning. So why are you out here this morning? It's really important that the people that go in here realize there are people in the world who think what they're doing is wrong. And what about you? I believe that there are human beings from the moment of conception. That's what our church teaches. And they deserve a right to live. Some of these babies could have done wonderful things for society. Cure cancer, for example. Things like that. Everyone has something good to do. And they deserve a chance. And why are you out here today? I'm just out to uh, bear witness to the uh, death of these young lives. just think when we get to heaven that... Uh, they will just thank us for being there. So at least you came to witness my death. So that's why I'm here. And Dan, you are the director of Lifeguard here in Durango. Why are you out here every Friday? Um, I see this as an opportunity to pretty much be at the scene of the cross. When we look at the crucifixion of our Lord, we see that his mom was there, Mary Magdalene was there, John was there. And you have to ask yourself, why, why were they there? They couldn't rescue him. It's not like they had, you know, a car waiting out back and they were going to get him out of that horrible situation. You know, they were there because when all of his friends or all of the society had abandoned him, they chose to remain and uh, confirm his dignity as a human being and someone who they loved. The saddest part about what happens here at this facility is that these children never get a funeral. They're never remembered here uh, there wouldn't be enough room for all the flowers that these kids deserve. A lot of people might think that it's only the crazy extremists that would come and be here every week. And I know, Dan, you've told me in the past that the driving motivator for you is love and that you're here because this is probably the only expression of love these children will ever see in their short lives. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, everything that we do as Christians should be motivated by love, and evangelizing should come from a place of love. We want them to get to heaven, and um, you know, us being out here is an act of love. 
you know, we're showing these children, you know, whether they see it or not right now, obviously we, we pray they, uh, we meet them in heaven again, you know, they, they will hopefully see that we tried and we were here because we love you when everyone else had abandoned you. Uh, we're here because we love you. And then that's kind of an underlying factor of what goes on here. But one of the things that we get to experience here occasionally, not as often as we would like, is we do save lives here. We had a mother come over here one time and she decided to go ahead and take us up on our offer to have a free ultrasound. And she came in with her mom and had an ultrasound. And when the baby appeared on the screen, her mom said in Spanish and started to cry, I can't believe how big the baby is. They literally thought it was just, you know, a blob of tissue. And there they see a baby on the ultrasound screen and the heart is beating and it's just, it's beautiful. And I think that a lot of people would make different decisions if they just knew the beauty of life, period. And um, a lot of the women who we do meet after the fact, people who actually have come out here to pray with us and they regret their abortion, we ask them, you know, like, why, why did you do it? And, and many of them always give us the same answer. They felt like they had no choice. It wasn't a matter of being pro-choice. It was a matter of, at the time, they felt like they had no choice. You know, we try to save the lives. We try to offer help. You know, we tell them that we have financial assistance and we can help them with anything that they need. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we don't save as many lives as we would like to. But still, it's all done out of love. What keeps you out here week after week after week as you stand in this fight out of love for those that have nobody else fighting for them? Uh, well, number one, I think that it's so important to be a witness. And we have people that drive by here and they roll down their window and they thank us for what we're doing. And a lot of them even tell us, like, if I didn't have to work today, we'd, you know, I'd join you in a heartbeat. And, um, you know, I think that, like Deacon Pat said, that if you drive by this place and no one was out here, you would think that there's nothing wrong, there's nothing going on here. But when you see a crowd of people here saying that, no, we believe in love, we believe in life, we oppose your worldview peacefully. And um, I think that's a powerful message. Like I said, we don't save as many lives as we would like to, but when you save one, it's just one of the greatest moments and days of your life, hands down. And it's an, it's an addictive feeling, too. Oh, there we go. Thumbs up. Thank you. <laughs> you just want to do all you can to show the world that there's still people here that care and value all human life. Now, what would you say to any women out there that are listening this morning that are considering an abortion? I would tell you that the child within your womb is made in the image and likeness of God, and, and that's a theological perspective, and, and a scientific fact is, is that that is your baby, and it's, it's beautiful, and it's, uh, you know, it's living, and it's, uh, it's absolutely a human being. You know, the, the continuum of life, you know, from conception to natural death, you're going to be a human being all throughout that. There's no point other than conception where you can say, well, at this point I became a human. There's, there's no other time besides conception where you can say that. And the greatest atrocities that have happened in history have been when human rights have been systematically violated, whether it be slavery or the Holocaust. And all these people were denied their personhood. They were seen as non-persons by society. So therefore, it was easy to exterminate or mistreat them. And in 1973, that's what happened. An entire class of human beings was no longer considered a person or worthy of protection under the law. And that's something that people don't realize is that this has been going on since then, and it's a systematic process of elimination. You know, that's the definition of genocide, the systematic destruction of a group deemed unwanted. 
by society, and abortion falls under that. Thank you guys so much for what you're doing out here. Now we're here in the Lifeguard headquarters with Janet, a volunteer. Janet, why do you do what you do here at Lifeguard? I come to pray for the mothers, for the babies. I'm hoping that uh, their hearts and minds will be opened and that they will save the life that they're carrying within them. And what would you tell any of the women that are out there this morning that maybe are considering having an abortion? That we have help for them, that we love them and their child. We have free ultrasound, we have doctors, we have support groups that would help them. And that um, the people at Planned Parenthood are deceiving them into believing that by ending their child's life, that this will improve their life. And that's a deception of our culture. Thank you so much, Janet. Thank you. The Bible says that each of us are sinners and that when we put our faith in Christ, we are adopted into his family. And on a side note, I want to say, if you've ever had an abortion, God loves you dearly and desires to have a relationship with you. Put your faith in him and be adopted into his family and you will find forgiveness and you'll find that your regret can cease. On that note, adoption, we've all been adopted into Christ's family. We should make a difference by adopting those that are supposedly unwanted today. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I hope you enjoy the Sanctity of Life Sunday and go ahead and share the pro-life message with those you love. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great Sunday. Hi.